uh, able to perform and to sing and to to be upright, Father, but you are stronger than that which is in us. And it's a good reminder, Father, that we need to be humble before you and submissive before you. And Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together to celebrate your name, to open up your word, to be together as your church, and to share a meal together. And for that, we are thankful. We are thankful to you for your salvation and for the plan that you've put in place in all the universe that would uh, culminate with your son dying for our sins. We uh, thank you again, and Father, as we open up your word, as we'll pray several times, Father, let, uh, let your spirit teach us this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our perfect Savior. Amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Wes. I'm one of the elders here, and if you've been with us for a couple weeks, you know that our pastor decided that uh, when he was a younger man not to get his foot fixed, and uh, 40, 50 years later, it turns out that that has to be done. And so Gary is now the bionic pastor uh, with a completely new foot, and he joins his wife as the bionic pastor's wife, uh, also has new feet, and uh, it's kind of an interesting bit of symmetry there in the marriage, the taking care of our feet. Uh, Gary's doing well. Uh, he's uh, comfortable, but he has to keep his foot elevated for quite a while, like all the time, and that's pretty annoying. Uh, so he's kind of stuck. And uh, physically doing fine, but mentally perhaps wishing that, you know, he was able to walk. Um, he's okay. Don's here this morning, which is awesome. Uh, Gary's got three dogs looking after him, so he's doing very well. Uh, all will be fine at the knock home. Uh, but keep Gary in your prayers, because being immobile for somebody who likes to be out and physical is very, very difficult. And uh, keep me in your prayers, too, as I sub in for Gary uh, during this time. We're going to continue on with our study in Galatians uh, this week. I uh, want to maybe make a quick review from what we talked about from week to week because you've got to remember that we'll, we'll take a look at verses in the Bible, but uh, it's one book, it's one chapter, it's all kind of one unique story, and there's a connection between everything we, we do. Uh, we'll be taking a look. This was uh, from last week, the first five verses of chapter 3 of Galatians, and we kind of made a, a little bit of an analogy or a simile, depending on how you look at it, with Paul was delivering a one-two punch to the Galatian churches the same way that Muhammad Ali delivered one-two punches. And then we also made the analogy that this Galatians, especially chapter 3, is full of a lot of fundamental truths and that people that are successful in life and especially in sports, they continue to focus on fundamentals. Fundamentals are very, very important. One might say they're fundamental. Uh, But Paul is going to be delivering a lot of fundamentals of the truth of the faith, and especially about our salvation through the book of Galatians. And that's an important thing for us to focus on. And we talked a lot about the Holy Spirit regenerating us last week and how permanent that is, that once you're saved, you're always saved, and there's no way for that to be broken. And we'll come back to that theme several times as we go through all of Galatians. Um, It's a great book, and it's a great book about the fundamentals of being saved, about being a Christian, how we are saved, and the three tenses, if you would say it with me, we're first justified, where we are saved from the, the very penalty of sin, we, we were found innocent from sin, we will not have to worry about being punished for our sin because of what Jesus Christ did, and right now, as we're, we're growing in our faith, we're being sanctified, which is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us, where we're saved from the uh, power of sin over us. We struggle with it, but we have the power because the Holy Spirit is in us and has changed us. We are new people. And we look forward to the future tense of salvation, which is 
glorified, where we'll be saved from the very presence of any sin around us. And the only sign will be the wounds in Jesus Christ's hands and feet and side. That will be the only sign of that there even was sin around us, which is something that we probably can't imagine very well. Because we live in a world, we're in the middle right now. We're in the sanctification process. We are still struggling every day. And that's, uh, that's, you know, the book of Galatians is great by that. We talked about how in the first chapter that Paul was astonished that these churches that he had, had taught and these churches that had become Christians were changing what the gospel means. They were adding rules and regulations and the law. They were bringing the law into what grace has done. And Paul was flabbergasted by that. He was hurt personally. Uh, by what had happened. And there's great, uh, great emotion in this chapter. So uh, as we go through that, uh, one of the central themes that you'll hear all the way along, make sure I get my hands right here, that on one side, we're going to have faith, the Holy Spirit, and God doing work. And on the other hand, we have the law and the flesh, us, and myself. And throughout all of Galatians, you'll see this contrasted. What the law, sorry, what God and faith and the Spirit has done with what the law can do, what the flesh can do, what I try to do on my own. And that will be a consistent theme all the way through. And it really deals with our salvation. And as we talked about last week, salvation is important because we will have difficulties in life in the church if we don't really understand our salvation. We will also have difficulties in the church if we don't understand the purpose of what this thing is, this church, that what we're doing here is not like a country club. This is not the Kiwanis group. We're not a group that gets together and does good works, and that makes us good. Uh, It's very different. And while Galatians talks a little bit about the church, most of what we're going to be focused on is your salvation, which is important. So our text today, oh, no, not yet. Um... I'll come back to that. (laughs) Our text today will be from Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Uh, Let me read that to you. Let me pray, and then we'll talk about it. We'll get into this. So Galatians uh, chapter 3. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Holy Father, once again, we come to you thankful that we have your word and language we can understand, that we have this place we can gather, and that, Lord, you have prepared all of us to hear your word this morning, and that your word is not simply text, but is illuminated by your Holy Spirit through the ministries and comes to us over history. Father, we do pray this morning that uh, my words would not distort, would not uh, in any way harm your gospel as it goes from me to you, and that your Holy Spirit would intercede on my part and on everyone's part as we learn from your word. We thank you again for your text, for your word, and for this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start today with something that uh, some people really get into, and that's ancestry, uh, your roots. Where do you come from? And they call that the study of genealogy, and there's all kinds of cool things you can do online. You can send them DNA, and they'll tell you where your DNA comes from. You can have family trees done. And some people, that's, that's very, very important. So I thought I'd take a minute just to share with you my ancestry, the Crago family, is from Scotland. 
which most people don't think Crago sounds very Scottish, but it's Clan Craig. And I don't know, they got the O in there somewhere. And this is what Scotland looks like. And if you think of Scotland, you tend to think of that and bagpipes, maybe haggis. Uh, but in Scotland, it does look this way. Uh, when Vange and I first got married, we kind of saved up for a year, and we were able to go on our honeymoon kind of like a year later. And we stayed with a family in Scotland, and we got to tour kind of the, the ancestral homes. Not that we really knew the regions that well, but um, it didn't look like this when we were there. It looked like this. Um, it was... <laughs> kind of cold and kind of foggy, and it was glorious. Uh, the grass, the heather, um, just fun. And that's actually me. I used to have hair. Um, Banji kind of looks the same. This was all before Krista, but in 1995, this is what we were doing, and we had uh, we'd just gotten, you know, we'd been married about a year, and uh, we got to spend a couple weeks over there. And it was kind of neat because we were in the same area where the Craig family had kind of grown up and did some things and see some of the, you know, the castles, which... Uh, we never would have lived in, but I mean, it's, it's cool. Ancestry is important. And I'm kind of very proud that I'm Scottish and I don't know why that, that it just kind of sticks out. The family, if you want to know the, the full stuff, we were Methodists. You don't get the name Wes without being in a Methodist family. Um, and the Methodists, we were kind of, kind of snarky about being Methodists and Church of England doesn't really like snarky people being Methodists. And so we were asked to leave the, the, with guns and they settled us in County Antrim in Ireland. And if you thought the Church of England was kind of snarky about being Methodist, the Catholic Church was even less uh, accommodating in Ireland. So we kept on moving. And we ended up in Pennsylvania in the 1850s. I uh, had one ancestor fought for the North. Well, they both, two ancestors fought in the, for the Union, uh, one in Maine, one in Pennsylvania. One in Pennsylvania have his sword. He was a captain, John Wesley Crago. And that's kind of cool. And we just kept moving west. After the Civil War, family kind of, we ended up in Michigan for a while, and then we ended up in Montana for a long time, and then we ended up in Washington State. And that's a sense of pride to me. I can look back and I can see some things. I can touch that sword on the wall above the fireplace. I can, I can talk to when my grandparents alive would hear stories, which we figure most of them aren't really true, but they're good stories. And that, that's very American. You kind of choose your own kind of past ancestors, if you will. Um, but the only peace our family's ever known, the only stability our family's ever known, was in the United States. So we're pretty American, and that's a kind of an American thing. We're all kind of nice to have ancestors. But in America, we don't, uh, I don't know, it's something you talk about, something you laugh about maybe. In England, however, ancestry is a big deal because if you're in the, the royal family, uh, you're, you're connected no matter how distantly uh, there are titles that go with that. There's land. There's responsibilities that go with your ancestry. In uh, the Old Testament times, the Jewish ancestry was very important. What tribe you were from had great meaning and had great depth right down to your occupations and things. So ancestry can be a big deal. In America, I don't know, we're, we're kind of into independence. It's sort of our defining characteristic. We're also really a little rebellious. That's where we come from. And independence and rebelliousness are awesome things. They make for great movies, and it's a lot of fun to study that. But when we put it in the context of our faith, independence and rebelliousness really aren't the best things in the church. Um, being independent of God and rebellious towards God, not great. Kind of submission is kind of one of our important things we want to focus on. So um, maybe a little we want to kind of push down our Americanness sometimes when we look at this. But today we're going to talk about our ancestry. 
this is going to be a little thing about being thankful for our ancestors. And it's good to pause. I think right now, not your physical body, your genealogy, your genetics, but think about your spiritual ancestors. If you're of the faith, and I'm, you know, it's an assumption, but most of you probably are, who are the people that led you to Christ? Who are the strong leaders in your life, the, the neighbor, the family member, the Sunday school teacher, the friend, uh, the people that have led you, influenced you, taught you, sermons you might have sat through. Think about that for just a second. The people that have gone before you that have put into you some of the things that you enjoy now. Because that's what I want to talk about today. In fact, that's what this passage is talking about. Paul's reminding the Galatian churches about their spiritual ancestor in a way that's really important. So let's take a look at chapter 3 and uh, look at some verses here. Got a couple words to take a look at and a few things like that. So here's our our text. And as we look at this, the first thing you want to do, well, first thing I do, is look, is there anything repeated a whole bunch? Because that's kind of, you know, that's important somehow. And you see that I'm pretty confident saying this, but I think this, this passage is talking about Abraham. Okay, even I can get that one. And then we look at Abraham, we look what else is kind of repeated and how it's repeated. And that's kind of hard to see, but belief and righteousness follow each other and justification and faith are together and blessed and faith and blessed. So clearly there's going to be some talk about faith and being saved or being blessed in this context. They'll put it differently, but that's what we're talking about there. And then we have Abraham coming back and a different term that might not be real familiar is Abraham the believer. And that kind of stood out to me. That's a little bit unique. And then there's one more thing that was kind of unique. And you always want to pay attention to the repetition, but you always want to look for the unique thing. And that's the scripture. Like it's a person. The scripture foresaw, the scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. The scripture. That's kind of different. We'll talk about that a little bit too, because it's kind of an important point. But we're going to come back to that in a second. Um, let's talk about a couple terms. Now, if you're a note taker, put your pen down because I'm going to give a negative example and I don't want you to get misled by this, but sometimes we need to be reminded that the Bible that we read wasn't written in English. Here's an example. Um, in this case it was Greek, but sometimes you come to a word you don't understand. That happens a lot to me. And I see that word and I'll turn to a dictionary. That's kind of a normal thing to do. Look up the word in the dictionary. And in this case, if you looked up the word in the English dictionary, it might not give you the right meaning because you're looking in an English dictionary to a word that originally was written in Greek. So we need to you know, make sure we get the right dictionary to look something up. And here's the word, because it's an important word. And it's an example of how paying close attention to things can really reward you when you're going through Scripture. Um, righteousness. If you look up the English dictionary, and this is why I don't want you to write this down, the English dictionary definition of righteousness is strictly observant of morality in action. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? And that sounds okay. If we think back to some of the reasons um, strictly observant to morality and action, it's paying attention to your behavior. We get a knock as Christians frequently for being following rules, all about do's and don'ts, 
being a little hypocritical because we say don't do this, but then we do it ourselves. That's because that definition from the English dictionary is about self-righteousness. There's nothing about God in that definition. It's about our own morality because my morality is different than your morality, different your morality. We can have arguments about that, but that's kind of misleading in English language, which is why we got to remember, well, what did the author mean? when he wrote this. That's really important. The author used a, the word righteousness. And if we looked up in a Greek dictionary, were we able to look up some books that define the words that were used in the Bible? And this is where, if you're taking notes, you can start writing again. Righteousness, biblically, is this. It's a condition acceptable to God because of Christ. It's a condition acceptable to God because of Christ. So the difference is where the English word righteousness means what I do makes me righteous, which we're good at that. The biblical definition is what God did and what God made us acceptable to him. Not something I did. God made me acceptable to God. That's an important point. So when we talk about righteousness this is not the self-righteousness. This is not the righteousness that we see on TV. This is not the righteousness where people say, I'm good and you need to be more like me. And you know, remember the image of the guy yelling and he had the log come out of his eye? That's self-righteousness. That's where we, we yell at others. We, it's about us comparing ourselves. God's righteousness is based on God. It's what God has done in us. It's our belief in Christ that makes us righteous. Nothing more than that. So... English definition kind of deals with the law. The biblical definition deals with the faith and with what God has done. And that's pretty important. And I'll just pause just to say that the law that they're talking about in the Bible, and we'll be talking about a lot, is the Hebrew law. And we'll discuss it at length. But the important part about the law is you had to follow it perfectly in order to be righteous. There were over 600 guidelines laws. And if you messed up on any one of them, you're unrighteous. Okay. One person followed all the law perfectly. And that was Jesus Christ. Everybody else. Nope. The law convicted them. So we'll come back to that. We really don't want to be in with the law. Uh, the other one is Abraham. Abraham's an important term. And Abraham was not, it doesn't say in here, Abraham followed the law. Abraham, I'm sure that was very important to him, but Abraham was not reckoned as righteous because of the law. The law is like chains. It's like it, 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 those behavioral guidelines, they make you a slave to it. You have to follow the law to be righteous. And again, you had to do it 100%. You could not violate any one of the laws and still be righteous. And that becomes like this, like slavery. You become a slave to the law. You have to keep following the law. And the law becomes your focus, your behavior. You become the focus. Imagine, it's 1860. These are actual slaves from 1860, photographs taken in 1862. Imagine your slave, your parents, your grandparents, your parents before that, your entire generations back, as far as you know, have been slaves. You anticipate when you have children, they will be slaves. That is your life. That is your existence. You're not considered a person. The government does not consider you 
even something that they, they use for voting, well, three-fifths of it, uh, it it's, you are, you're nothing. You are a, a workhorse. You are stock. You are cattle. And then one day, a bunch of men in blue suits show up. One of the men has wings of eagles on his shoulders, and he says, you're free. You're a person now. Did the slave do anything to, respond, to get that freedom? No. Other people did. They declared them to be free. What an amazing day that would be. But then think, if you were, say, that union officer that told these slaves, you're now free, you can, you can be people, you can move, you can have rights, you can vote, etc., etc. What if those slaves went back and said, no, 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 I put the chains back on? That would be confusing, right? That wouldn't make any sense. Well, Paul's astonishment at the Galatian churches would be very much the same as this union officer that would see, we freed you. What, what's happened? Why are you going back to chains? That was the astonishment of Paul. It would be very similar to the astonishment of, and this happened, some slaves were more comfortable being slaves. Freedom's tricky. You've got to make a lot of choices in freedom. Being a slave was very simple. And there's all kinds of things about patterns of behavior and what happens to your psyche and all that that go into that. But slavery and the law are a good thing to keep in mind. And why would you want to go back to slavery? So let's talk about Abraham. Abraham the believer. And this was new for me. I, I, this knowledge I wasn't actually all that familiar with with Abraham. I'm, I don't have a background with Hebrew or Old Testament history. Uh, but Abraham means exalted father. Um, he's the leader of the Jewish people. That one you probably knew. Uh, he is the leader of the Jewish people, not, well, if you're of non-Jewish family, meaning genetically, you're not from Israel from the old days, Jewish people, Abraham is not your father in that way. Uh, that's the Jewish race of people, and that's separate from the current nation state political organization of Israel, and that's different from the church, and that's a, a very long discussion that we can get into other sometime. But Abraham is the father of the Jewish race, of the people that are genetically Jewish, not the Israeli nation, because you can be Israeli but not be Jewish. Um, but there's a double meaning here. There's a great story about how Abraham came to faith. There's the story of the covenant, and what's important here is that if you go back and take a look at um, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says this, and in fact, Paul's quoting it here. Then he, uh, Abraham, then Abraham believed in the Lord, and he, God, reckoned it to him as righteousness. And Abraham was reckoned as righteous. Okay, reckoned is an interesting word. Sometimes you kind of you can blow by that kind of quickly. Reckon is actually, it's, a, um, it's an accounting term. It's a banking term. And if we had, uh, you could just kind of pretend to do this on your, your tables, but if you had a bunch of beans and you had column A and column B and all the beans were in column B, reckoning would be to move all the beans from one column to the other. And if you were a small classroom, I'd have you do that. You'd go, okay, the, the technical term is imputation. The idea is credited, like deposited, 
Like if my father has $100 and he wants to deposit it into my account here locally, he would reckon it into my account. I didn't do it. It was from my father, but it's all mine, and it came from him. And Paul, using this accounting term, this very clear, almost a factual, like you don't argue with reckoning. It's a done deal. It's, a, it's, a, it's like that's math, right? That was done to us. Paul is explaining this to Jewish people about a Jewish ancestor that every Jew knows, the story of Abraham and with his son, Isaac, and what happened, and he's the father of the race. And what Paul's done is he's taken that same story and honestly and factually, but put a twist on it and look at it from a little different angle. Well, yes, he's the physical father of the Jewish race, but he's also, this is the new part, the spiritual father of the Gentiles, of us. And now we have a different ancestor. And so my little idea that we look back at our family trees, we have a different way to look at that going back to Abraham as our spiritual answer because Abraham was saved by faith. He believed and he became righteous because of what God did. And that's what Paul's making this great argument. In fact, his argument is really in two parts of these four very short verses. First off, all Christians, all believers have Abraham as a spiritual ancestor, as a figurative father in faith because he believed and was saved. We believed and were saved. The second argument Paul's making is the only path to being saved is faith. So two really basic arguments, fundamentals. Abraham's our spiritual ancestor, and the only path to being saved is through faith. So... Paul's making this argument. He's talking to Jews. He's talking to converted. The churches in Galatia were mostly Jewish people converted to be Christians. So when Paul's coming at them with Old Testament, they relate to this. They knew this stuff from the get-go. They were really good about their history. And it probably hit the Galatians a little bit like it hit me. Like, whoa, I'd never thought of Abraham before as something to do with me spiritually as a Christian. These Galatian churches had been distorting the gospel and adding circumcision and adding all these rules to being saved. And he's taking them back to their their prime ancestor. Their number one person that they hold up would be Abraham. And he's saying, hey, Abraham's just like you. Abraham was saved by faith, not the law. Go back to Genesis. Go back to the Old Testament text. Abraham believed and was saved. So let's go through these verse by verse real quick. Um, Verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed faith. He knew he was convicted. He trusted in God. And it was reckoned to him. Talked about reckoned. It was credited by God. It was declared by God. It was uh, God that made, transferred holiness into Abraham through faith. I think the idea of transfer sometimes is deposited. It was God's actions that made Abraham acceptable to God. That's verse 6. There are weeks of doctrine we could dig into right there. Substitutionary atonement. What is redemption? What is salvation? What is grace? What is regeneration by the Holy Spirit? And if you want to look that stuff up, we've got a great position paper in the lobby that the elders worked on for years. You voted on it. It's called the Statement of Faith. It lays it all out. 
you're going to look up a lot of verses if you read that, but it's good. It's worthwhile to do. I would strongly encourage you to do that on your own sometime. Look that stuff up. What you need to know right now, he believed. He was saved. Not he believed and did. No, no, no. He believed, saved, period. Verse 7. Therefore, which is referring to verse 6, anytime you see therefore, kind of look back up. Uh, What is the therefore, therefore? Therefore, that is, if you're a Christian, you are a son of Abraham, figuratively. Because if you're a Christian, you were saved by faith, so is Abraham. Again, something probably new for the Galatian churches to think about. It was something new for me to think about. Um, Son is a word that's important. Sons, uh, it implies daughters. It's not just for the males. But it's sharing the same nature as the father. The same nature. Our, the believing Abraham, that's how we refer to Abraham now. I, I will always call Abraham the believer, or the believing Abraham is our spiritual ancestor. Verse 8, the scripture. This is the odd one. That's different. The scriptures being what's called personified. As a person, the scripture took action, it foresaw. The scripture preached to Abraham as if it was a person preaching, and he's telling Abraham that all believers will be blessed, be saved in the same way that Abraham was, by Abraham's faith. Not Abraham is not the Savior. Abraham believed in the same way we believe. Abraham's salvation came in the same way that our salvation comes from. And what just, again, Galatians has so much stuff you can't just blow past. The Scripture being a person... Uh, you can translate that accurately, the Holy Spirit foresaw, the Holy Spirit preached the gospel. Because remember that the Bible, the text, is not merely words. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And while a person wrote it, it was the Holy Spirit inside that person that is doing the writing. And there's a combination that's one of the great mysteries of how that all works, about when you're inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the text comes out and it's not the same as like Moby Dick. It's not the same as Shakespeare. It's inspired. I've read several books over and over again, stuff on Teddy Roosevelt, right? Didn't save me. Didn't change my life. Didn't make me a different person. But the Holy Word, the Bible, is inspired by God. It's not the same as other words. It changes who you are. There's a great story um, guy named Haddon Robinson, phenomenal preacher. He was in grad school, and he went to talk to a professor who was a staunch atheist, which is not entirely uncommon in grad school. And this professor goes, oh, you're studying the Bible. And he goes, There's, that book's different. And Haddon Robinson was teaching preachers how to do the physical task of preaching. He said, well, what do you mean? Because you're an atheist. I mean, why would you say the Bible's different? And this staunch atheist professor said, that book changes people. People are different when they study that book. People are different when they read that book. And then we say the scripture, don't think of it as, wow, those words, you know, Paul or Abraham really got into the word. No, it's the Holy Spirit in the words. Your Bible is a very, very different thing. It's God's message written through a ministry of the Holy Spirit entering people and coming out in text. And despite every attempt to destroy it, distort it, to discredit it, it has endured for generations with remarkable fidelity and accuracy. And as a historian, somebody who's trained in a very secular world, the Bible stands up 
stands up to better anything else in the law libraries, anything else in the history libraries, because it's holy, because it's different than text. It's not just words. And so the scripture preaching to Abraham, well, that makes a little more sense if you think about it that way. Moving on, verse 8. Oh, that was verse 8. Moving on to verse 9 then. Um, Paul summarizes it at the end. So then those who are the faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. If you take an English class, you learn how to write essays. You start with a thought, you end with a thought, and in the middle you support the thought. This is a heck of an essay. This is beautiful writing. And not only that, but it's incredibly persuasive to an audience made up of ex-Jewish people in the Christian church who need to be reminded and kind of hit upside the head a little bit. He's hitting them right where they live, and he comes back to it to remind you that you were saved just like Abraham. And he summarizes this argument, so then, or therefore, and he's talking about cause and effect, faith, blessed, or saved. He's reminding them Abraham was a believer in Christ just like you which takes us right back to the central idea here that our spiritual ancestor, our lineage, our ancestry, um, goes all the way back spiritually to Abraham. And that as parents, sometimes we think about what we pass on to our children. Abraham passed on this great pattern of belief and saved to us. That's the pattern we're going to follow. And it brings us back to that central question. What is our path to being righteous? That's the question this passage asks. What is your path to being righteous? And the answer is belief in God. That's your path to righteousness. Righteousness being acceptable to God because of what God has done, not because of our our actions. And so that, my friends, is chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. And as ever, when we get to the end, we have to ask the so what question. What do we do with this? What do we take away from this? And... This isn't holy, okay? When I give you my takeaways, when I give you, here's an idea for how I'm going to apply this, that's not holy. It's probably full of holes, but it's not holy like the text is. So this is what struck me. Two things really jumped out at me about, okay, what do I, I read this, it changes, what do I go forward with? And I think about the ancestry, family tree, okay? Family tree, greatest Scotsman of all time, Robert the Bruce, right? Had a lot of flaws, but... That's not what I want to remember. I want to remember my spiritual side of my ancestry. And so Gary likes to ask us, what do we remember during communion, right? What do we remember? I'm trying to remember, I'm spending a lot of time on this, is not so much on the Old Testament and Israel, but on who were my personal spiritual ancestors? Who are the people in Sunday school back when I was a total idiot? Whereas now I'm just slightly. Um, but more, when I, Vange and I came here in 1994, and the men at this church in particular, the elders, uh, some that I, I worked with, uh, some that I've come to know, you are so blessed to have some elders in this church and in the past that are warriors for God, that are devoted to God, that are humble, humble men. They have no idea what they've done in my life. And I say thank you to them when I can, and they usually just shrug their shoulders, no, no, no. But they have poured into me. And so anything I'm able to do today is because of what you collectively, and especially through your elders, have done in my life. As a callow youth in 1994 with lots of hair and attitude, and we get used 
by God. Our ancestors are not necessarily people in our family. It's people in our church that influence us. And I'm very thankful for that. And it would be a good thing for you to reflect on that with the people that have gone before you and taught you and influenced you. And if you can, thank them. If nothing else, give thanks to God for them if they're gone. But it's good to think about that because we don't get here on our own. God puts us in community, this church. And he uses the church to do his work in us. And secondly, after 36 years as a believing Christian, I'm always consistently amazed and surprised by what the Bible has to say. And so when I say study your Bible, I don't say that like admi- ad- as an admonition. I don't say that like you're not doing it. I just encourage you in the same way that somebody who eats an amazing piece of cake, you want to share it with somebody. Oh, you've got to taste this cake. The Bible's like that. It, it never stops blessing you with the riches and the deep meaning that comes out of it. And you can read the same verse a thousand times and you might get 2,000 meanings out of it. And then you'll read something simple like John 3.16 again and it'll bring you to your knees. It's just, it's not like other books. I've read Moby Dick many times. It's very boring. It's a lot about whaling. It's not very applicable in my life. I don't get more out of it the second time I read it. It might be entertaining, but the Bible's not like that. You can keep reading it, keep digging into it. I just encourage you in the same way that it's the greatest piece of cake I've ever had. The Bible rewards you for digging into it again and again and again. It will not stop doing that. So study your Bible in the way that it's pretty cool. It will bless you. So as we sit here coming into Thanksgiving weekend, what are we thankful for? Can we be thankful for our ancestry? Can we be thankful for having the word laid out for us so clearly by the Apostle Paul? What a blessing that is to have it not just in our own language, but as Kevin prayed, to have it in multiple languages, to have it in multiple translations. And you get on the Internet, and with the clicks, you can have all kinds of wisdom that other people would have just been amazed by. And here we are in the 21st century, and it's all at our fingertips. Those are blessings. Our people that have blessed us are amazing things that what's gone before us, to be thankful for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we had this time, that we uh, are able to meet in freedom from uh, any persecution from our government, that we're able to have this place uh, that keeps the rain off our head and keeps us warm, and that, Father, we have your holy word given to us uh, through the ages and that we're able to understand it. And, Lord, we thank you for those that have gone before us both to bring us your word and spiritually before us to keep your word alive, to maintain your churches that you've used over generations and millennia, Lord, to bring your cause forward, to bring your word to the world, and that the word would save those of us that believe. And Father, we thank you for this time. We ask as we go from here that your word would be implanted in our heart. And as always, we would leave here a little bit closer to you and a little bit closer to one another than we were when we came in. And that day by day, we would look more like your son, as your son is in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.